Well, hi everyone, my name is Brooke Lee. I'm an author and teacher, and one of my very favorite places to teach is here at my home church. So welcome to Grace Church. I'm so glad that you are joining us today. And you know what? We've got to start with the congratulations to you and to me. We have made it halfway through this dumpster fire of a year. We are halfway through 2020, folks. We are in July. We have rounded the corner. We are on the final stretch to get through this year. I was reading online this past week, and there is actually an online petition for Apple to create a dumpster fire emoji. Like only in 2020 does this make sense. Only in 2020 are we like, yeah, I will sign off on that petition to get a dumpster fire emoji so I can more accurately describe how this year is going. Well, it's funny because it's true, right? This year just keeps getting weirder. Life keeps getting harder and tensions keep rising higher. In fact, I feel as if tensions are the highest they have ever been before, at least in my lifetime. And maybe you feel that way too. There is this division that is happening in our culture right now. Everybody feels against each other. People are being polarized and categorized and marginalized. Lines are being drawn in the sand. Assumptions are being made. Judgments are being cast. Division just feels so ripe right now. And maybe you feel that too. Well, we as a church, we have been calling out this division and these rising tensions. And not only that, but we have been taking an in-depth look at who we as Jesus followers are meant to be in the midst of this tension, how we are meant to operate and conduct ourselves. And if you are just checking us out for the first time, maybe you're not quite sure about Jesus or this whole church thing, you are in the right place. And in fact, I'm really glad that you tuned in today because here's the deal. There is a lot of discourse out there about who Jesus' followers are. Some of it's true and a lot of it couldn't be further from the truth. But in this series, we are seeking to clearly spell out who Jesus' followers are meant to be especially in tension-filled environments. And so I hope that you will tune in to this whole series. I hope you'll go back and look at the other weeks that we have taught on this. This series that we are in is called A New Us. A New Us. And the first week, Scott taught us about how we as Jesus followers are meant to be open. He defined openness as the ability to welcome people into our presence and make them feel safe. We, as Jesus' followers, are called to be open, to model this openness to the people that we are in relationship with. And then last week, Jesse taught us about acceptance. And Jesse defined acceptance as the ability to communicate respect and dignity of another person because they are an image bearer of God. We are called, as Jesus' followers, to display radical acceptance. Well, today, we are going to be talking all about trust. Trust, the ability to have confidence in a relationship. Now, we're not really talking about trust in our closest relationships. So we're not talking about trust in our marriages or maybe in our close family relationships. We're going to be talking about more about trust in the people that we are in community with. So these are people like our neighbors, the barista at Starbucks, maybe some of our acquaintances, people that we're in a connect group with, people inside the church and people outside of the church, people close to God and people far from God. What does trust look like here 
in these relationships? How are we, as Jesus followers, to have confidence in these relationships with these people? Well, I don't know about you, but trust feels so incredibly fluid right now. It is so incredibly difficult to know who it is that we are to trust. What people do we trust? What believers, what pastor, what church, what platform or party or cause do we trust right now? Do you feel this? It can be so difficult to know who it is that we are to trust. And one of the most dangerous aspects of that question of who do we trust is that our culture has an answer for this. And the answer that they provide is actually a really damaging answer. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time today unpacking our culture's answer for who we are to trust. So our culture tells us we can trust a few different groups of people. Number one, they tell us that we can trust people we agree with. So if you and I agree on something, well, then I can trust you and you can trust me. Our culture also tells us that we can trust people who are on our side. That if we are rallying for the same cause, if we have the same worldview or perspective or priorities, well, then I can trust you and you can trust me. And then the last one our culture tells us is that we can trust people who are like us, similar to us. That if we talk the same or we live the same or we care about the same things, then I can trust you and you can trust me. And so then on the flip side, the people our culture tells us not to trust are people we don't agree with people who are on a different side than us, or people who are not similar to us. These are the general guidelines of who our culture tells us to trust. Now, the thing about our culture's model for trust is that within this model, trust ends up being proportionate to love. Now, what I mean by that is that the amount of trust I have in a person then determines how much love I'm going to show that person. So if you and I agree on a lot, if we're on the same side, if we're similar, well, then I'm going to have a high amount of trust in you. Therefore, I'm going to show you a lot of love. And then on the flip side, if you and I disagree, if you are on a different side than me, if we are different in likeness, well, the less amount of trust I'm going to have in you and the less love I'm going to show you. Our culture's model of trust is that trust is proportionate to love. I sort of see it like this. This is a valve. It's a garden hose valve. And a valve's main job is to control the flow of something. So let's take a garden hose, for instance. A garden hose valve controls the flow of water. If the valve is open, righty tidy, lefty loosey, the valve is open, the water flows freely. But if the valve is closed, well, the water stops or the water lessens, right? Well, if we're operating within our culture's model of trust, this is what ends up happening. What we do is we end up sitting sitting at what I'm going to call our trust valves. We sit at our trust valves, and if somebody does something that we don't agree with, or we don't align with, or is different than how we would do it, what we end up doing is we shut off our trust valve. And when we shut off our trust valve, we stop the flow of love to that person. Let's take this analogy one step further. Let's say you have a friend. 
And this is a close friend, maybe. You guys vacation together. You know each other's, the names of each other's kids. You guys spend time together. Maybe you're in a group with that person. Well, about a month or so ago, let's say that person posted something online that maybe didn't match up with your theology or your beliefs. And so whether consciously or not, maybe what you did is you sat at your trust valve and you started shutting off the flow of love to that person. You said, man, because I don't align with what they're saying, I'm going to shut the trust valve off and I'm going to stop the flow of love or lessen the flow of love to that person. Maybe you didn't check in with them as much. Or maybe you just started to grow contempt in your heart towards that person. Or let's give another example. Let's say there's a coworker or a boss and this person repeatedly does things different than how you would do them. You don't align or agree with their priorities. Maybe they aren't as integrous as you think that they should be in their role. And so again, whether consciously or not, you put your hand on the trust valve and you said, yeah, I'm gonna shut off my trust to that person and I'm gonna stop or I'm going to lessen my flow of love to that person. I have a question for us. Is this how we are meant to exist in our relationships? Are we meant to sit at our trust valves, dictating and determining who gets love and how much love they get? Is this what we as Jesus followers are called to? Or are we called to something more? Are we called to something different? Are we called to handle trust in our relationships in a different way than manning our trust valves? Well, as I'm sure you can guess, there is another way. The culture's model of trust is not the only way that we can operate with trust in our relationships. God has a model for how trust exists in our relationships. And so we're going to look into scripture today to unpack and discover what God's model of trust is. And you know, the truth is, I think we have all experienced the flaws in this model of trust. Maybe we have shut the trust valve off to somebody else that, in hindsight, we never should have shut the valve off to. Or maybe the valve has been shut off to us. We know that our culture's model of trust is flawed, and so let's look at God's model today. Let's look at what God says to us about trust, specifically who we are to give our trust to. Now, what we're going to do, one of my favorite things to do, is to look at an encounter in the Bible and sort of unpack it. And this encounter is between two guys. Now, these two guys couldn't have been further from each other. They were so different. They didn't align on beliefs. They disagreed. There was just no almost similarities between these two guys. And not only that, but they found themselves in a similar place that we find ourselves in today. The tension in the environment was so incredibly high. Lives were being threatened. Disagreements and differences were incredibly high. And so I think we're going to find a lot of common ground with our two guys. So we're going to be reading in the Bible. We're going to pick up reading in Acts chapter 9. So if you want to follow along, feel free. Open up your Bible to Acts chapter 9. And before we jump into this passage, I'm going to catch us up to speed on what's going on here. What exactly is happening here? So in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, we are introduced to our first guy in this account. And his name is Saul. Some of you know who Saul is. Now, Saul was a devout religious man. He did not believe in Jesus, and he made it his life's mission to arrest and imprison anyone who did believe in Jesus. We are told that Saul was a man who was full of rage, angry threats. He wanted to literally murder disciples 
of Jesus. He would physically go into homes and drag out men and women and take them away to be imprisoned if they believed in Jesus. And maybe the worst part about all of that is that Saul was incredibly self-righteous. He truly believed that what he was doing was right and good and true and God-honoring. Well, Saul and a couple of his guys are heading to a place called Damascus, and they're going to do what they did every time they went into a town. They were going to arrest people who believed in Jesus. So they're on their way to Damascus. Some of you will know this story, and guess who Saul encounters on the way? Jesus, the one that he is persecuting, the one that he is doing everything to stop the way of Jesus. He has this encounter with Jesus. We read that a bright light shines down from heaven. Saul goes blind, and then he speaks directly to Jesus, and Jesus speaks directly to him. Jesus tells Saul to go into town, into Damascus, and to wait. So this is our first guy in our encounter, Saul. Then we get introduced to our second guy, who is a guy named Ananias. We don't have much background on Ananias. The only things we know about Ananias are that he was a believer of Jesus, and he lived in Damascus. So these are our two guys in our account. We've got Saul, the great persecutor, and then we've got Ananias, believer in Jesus. Okay, so let's start reading. This is where we're going to pick up reading. Acts 9, starting in verse 10, it says this. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Okay, so let's pause right here. So the Lord speaks to Ananias in a vision. He tells him to go lay hands on this guy Saul who is blind. Now it's really, really important to note that Ananias was well aware of this guy Saul. This was not just some random person that God told Ananias about. No, in fact, most believers in the surrounding area would have known who Saul was. Saul was the great persecutor. I sort of imagine the believers in Damascus almost like bracing for impact as this guy Saul made his way to their town to arrest and imprison believers. So Ananias was well aware of who Saul was, and this fact paints this clearer picture of the tension here, right? Because when God asks Ananias to go and lay his hands on this man who was coming to the town to arrest believers, well, Ananias would have known the great danger and potential threat on his life that accompanied God's request, right? Ananias knew that Saul was not somebody to be trusted. In fact, Saul fit the bill for who our culture would have told Ananias not to trust. Saul didn't align with his beliefs. Saul was incredibly different from him. Not to mention, Saul was dangerous. Ananias' trust in Saul would have been non-existent, and yet here the Lord is telling Ananias, go. Go to Saul. So what does Ananias do? Let's read on verse 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Okay, so let's stop right there. So the Lord says, go. And Ananias says, but Lord. You guys remember this? Do you know what Ananias is doing here? Ananias is putting his hand on the trust valve and he is saying, Lord, this man is not to be trusted. 
but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, right? And then he rattles off this list of why he is justified to turn the trust valve off. Ananias is sitting with his hand on the trust valve and he is saying, this guy is not to be trusted. How many times have you responded with a but Lord? How many times has the Lord said, go, or he nudges your heart towards someone, or he convicts you of a hardened heart that you have towards someone, and instead of responding and obeying and going where God is sending you and doing what God is asking you to do, you respond with a, but Lord, you put your hand on the trust valve and you said, but Lord, they are not to be trusted. But Lord, their theology is wrong. But Lord, they support this party or this group that is hurting people. But Lord, they are against you. But Lord, it is unfair. But Lord, it is scary or dangerous. How many times has God said go, and instead of obeying and listening, you respond with a but Lord, with your hand on the trust valve? This is exactly what we see Ananias do. But Lord. Well, the Lord responds back to Ananias, and he basically just repeats his command. (laughs) He says, go. Like, he just says, hey, all of your justification for why you shouldn't go to Saul, mm -mm, go. I'm saying it again. And then in verse 17, Ananias does this 180, and it says this, so Ananias went and found Saul, and we've got to pause here, because hidden here in this simple statement of facts, right, like it just all of a sudden happened, he just went and found Saul, is actually Ananias living within God's model of trust, and it's so simple we can almost miss it, so let me unpack it for us. You see, what enabled Ananias to go from but Lord to then going and finding Saul was because Ananias didn't all of a sudden just trust Saul. He wasn't just like, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to now trust this guy. No, 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 no. The reason, and the, the reason why Ananias was able to go and find Saul was because Ananias put his trust in God, and listen to this, above his distrust in Saul. Do you hear that? Ananias put his trust in God above his distrust in Saul. And this, this, you guys, is God's model for trust. The culture tells us, put your trust solely in people and only in people that you agree with, people who are on your side, people who are similar to you. But God says, put your trust in me above all else. Yes, even your distrust in people. God says, Hey, child, take your hand off the trust valve and let my hand rest there instead. Let me be the one who dictates who my love flows to. This is the role of trust in our relationships. And this is what enabled Ananias to go from but Lord to then going and finding Saul. His confidence in this relationship with Saul didn't come from Saul. It came from God. This is how Ananias was able to do this 180. And then the beautiful thing is that God's love starts to flow through him. And we're going to read how God's love then flows through him with Ananias' hand off the trust valve. So remember, we last read, Ananias went and found Saul. Then in the remainder of verse 17, we read, he, meaning Ananias, laid his hands on him. Saul, meaning Saul. So let's pause right here. 
Can you guys picture this with me? Can you picture Ananias physically walking toward Saul? This man who was known to be full of rage and anger and literally wanted to murder disciples. Can you imagine Ananias laying his hands on this guy? I sort of imagine his hands trembling, right? As they made their way to this guy, putting his trust in God, right? His confidence coming from God, not from this man, but from God. But it doesn't stop there. With his hands laid on Saul, then it says that Ananias speaks something to Saul. And do you know what he says? He says, brother Saul. You guys, he calls this guy brother. This guy who was coming to his town to arrest his friends and his family. This guy who was opposed to God. He calls him brother with his hands laid on him. And these things are just further confirmation that Ananias had his trust in God above his distrust in Saul. He had his hand off the trust valve, and he was letting God's love flow freely through him. This is where his confidence in this relationship with Saul came from. Well, after Saul, in this encounter with Ananias, he regains his sight and he goes on to write much of the New Testament that we read today. He becomes probably the greatest evangelist of all time. So what does this mean for you and I? How do we apply this? This sounds great in theory, but let's get practical. What does this mean? How does this play out in our life? Well, there are three things that you and I can do if we want to live and operate in God's model of trust. And these three things we see play out in this encounter between Ananias and Saul. So let me unpack them. So the first aspect of living within God's model of trust is that we listen for God's leading. We listen for God's leading. You see, if we look back to this encounter, God wasn't telling Ananias to go to everybody he was connected to and lay hands on them and pray, right? No. God had a very specific person that he wanted to lead Ananias to. And this is for all my people pleasers and my fellow codependents out there. God is not calling you to everyone. God is not asking you to go to every single person and to lay hands on them or to pray over them or whatever. There are specific people, I believe, specific people in every single one of our lives that God is wanting us to go to. Maybe a person he wants to share his love to, or maybe, maybe he wants to convict you of a hardened heart towards somebody. Now, the way that we listen for God's leading is by attuning ourselves to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to do this. We're going to do this right now. We are going to take just a few seconds here. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is active and alive in our lives, you guys. And I believe that he is going to communicate a person to you that God wants to send you to, or maybe God wants to convict your heart that you have hardened towards. So let's join together in prayer. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And then we're just going to sit in a few seconds of silence while we let the Holy Spirit speak. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we want to hear from you with our hand off the trust valve and God's hand there instead. We want to know who it is that you want to send us to or maybe who you want to convict us of having a hardened heart towards. So Holy Spirit, speak. Speak now. We are listening.
Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for being this intercessor and this mouthpiece for God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if God revealed a person to you, but maybe that's a prayer that you can pray in the coming weeks. God, who is it that you're sending me to? God, who do I have my hand on the trust valve towards that I need to take it off? Let God convict you or lead you. The second thing, once God has revealed who it is that he wants to send us to, is we get close to that person. And we see this with Ananias and Saul. Ananias goes and he lays his hands on Saul, right? And I know this is a little bit different now with social distancing and in the midst of COVID, but there are so many ways to get close to a person without physically being in their presence. So go. Get close to the person that the Holy Spirit spoke to you. And then the third and final thing that we can do to live and operate within God's model of trust is we can speak love. Ananias called Saul brother. He uses this incredibly intimate and affectionate word for Saul. And we need to do the same. We need to use our words to communicate love to the people in our lives, to the people that God is sending us to. This, you guys, is how we operate in God's model of trust. Who do we trust? We trust God, yes, even above our distrust in certain people. And in order to do that, we've got to listen for God's leading, we've got to get close, and we've got to speak love. You know, the truth is, you and I, we all once were or are Saul. We all were opposed to God at one point or another. And do you know what? Jesus paved the way for this whole model of trust because Jesus didn't sit at his trust valve and look at us and say, God, they are opposed to you. Therefore, I don't have to lay down my life for that person. No, 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 no. Jesus went first and he said, while you are still sinning, while you are opposed to me, while you are against me, I will lay down my life for you. I will go first because I love you. And so if you do not know Jesus, oh man, I want you to know him. But I, more than anything, I want you to know that he loves you so dearly. So dearly that he didn't wait for you to become trustworthy to lay his life down for you. And he already did and you just got to receive it. So if you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a few seconds, and I would love for you to pray along with me and to make Jesus Lord of your life, to receive that gift of salvation that he paid for you. Let's pray together, church. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are like the ultimate example of this trust in our relationships. Thank you that you laid down your life for every single person while we were still sinners. God, for anyone now who wants to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I just invite you to pray along with me. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for paying the ultimate price. Thank you for paying for all of my sin and my junk and my mistakes to make me right, in right standing with God, I receive that gift of salvation today and I make you, Jesus, Lord of my life. And God, for all of us, help us, help us live within your model of trust. Convict our hearts. Help us, Holy Spirit, to keep our hands off the trust valve and to let God's hand rest there instead. Help us to put our trust in you above our distrust in anybody in our life. We love you, God. We praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.